Hi, church. My name is Bill Young. I'm one of the pastors here. Fun fact, I'm wearing my lobster shirt in honor of the fact that God will have lobster in heaven. I talked about that third service, second service Sunday. You guys missed it. So sometimes second service Sunday gets some bonus material. And I talked about how there will be, why there will be heaven, a lobster in heaven. So, and also my wife's out of town, so she doesn't let me wear this otherwise. She doesn't like it. Here it is, honey. She's probably watching. We, uh, last week, Josh, ended season three of Romans. We're spending all year going through Romans. We, have, we broke it into five different seasons. See if this is working. There you go. Five seasons, and we just finished uh, season three. We're starting season four, and the whole topic, nine through 11, chapters nine through 11, talk about God's sovereignty. And there's some pretty amazing topics that we're going to cover. Here's just a few. We talk about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. We're going to talk about God's plan for Israel, which is timely. Uh, the assurance of salvation, promises made to the patriarchs. God's plan for the Gentiles, mercy, faith, grace, and predestination versus free will. So really, nothing much. God's sovereignty. Even the Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 11, at the end of the season, acknowledges this is a lot of heavy stuff. Here's what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. They're just, woo, so, so high above what we can think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And there's so much good information, good theology in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and a lot of it talks about God's sovereignty. So I'm going to kick that off tonight, and then Brian and Caleb are going to finish chapter 9 over the next couple of weeks. Um, the word sovereign, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word sovereign. If any of you are uh, royal fans, you might think of this, sovereign. The king or queen of England, that, that's actually a moniker, a name for them, is sovereign. You're our sovereign in the UK, okay? Uh, the, the word actually means a number of things. It means superior or greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, independent of all others. And for our purpose, tonight especially, I just want to simplify it. That's just who I am. I just want to make it simple. What does it mean that God is sovereign? It means that God, this is just not working for some reason. We might have to get new batteries. God is in control. Say it with me. God is in control. He's in control of my clicker. He's in control of everything. God is in control. That's what it means to be sovereign. And uh, tonight we're going to start unpacking this idea. What does it mean that God is sovereign? So there's three things that I want to cover in my message. Significant significance of sovereignty. I'm going to look at, okay, now it's going too many places. I think they're trying to help me here. Uh, which, okay, three implications of the sovereignty of God. Wow. This is funny, God, because you're in control and this is not working. Three implications of, the, of God's sovereignty. This is how we're going to break it down tonight, these verses. Uh, God's sovereign love is unmatched. There's none like it. God's sovereign promises are unbiased. He's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. Uh, promises are for people of faith. And number three, God's sovereign grace is undeserved. So let's just jump right into it. Three implications of God's sovereignty. The first one is this. God's sovereign love is unmatched. 
In fact, I was reading in uh, Psalm 103 today that says God's love is high. As the heavens uh, are higher than anything, God's love is great. It's, it's greater than that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, God's love is even greater than that. It's unmatched. There's nothing like it. And God has chosen sovereignly to love us. And we sang about that tonight. He has chosen to love us in his sovereign will. And that should make a difference practically in our lives. So we're going to look at three things, how it makes a difference in our life. Number one, we see that God's love transformed the Apostle Paul. Michael just mentioned that. That's one of my points in my teaching tonight, that God transformed the Apostle Paul with his love. Paul understood his love. So Paul starts chapter 9 by saying this. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. So this is a very solemn beginning. He's saying, guys, I have something super heavy. I'm not lying. The Holy Spirit will will, uh, agree with me that this is a heavy thing I'm going to share with you. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What has got Paul so sorrowful and what's given him so much anguish in his heart? That he's, he has to start by saying, I'm not kidding about this. I, I'm being honest here. I have great anguish in my heart. And he's going to tell us. He says this, amazing thing. He says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That is an amazing statement. That is hard to even comprehend that someone would say that. In other words, just cut to the chase. He's saying, uh, as far as my, my brothers, my own race, the people of Israel, I, I wish I could go to hell and they could go to heaven in my place. That is, that, that is a big statement. That's why he had to start it like, I'm not kidding about this. I really wish I could, I could, that we could swap out and they could go to heaven. Because they've missed the Messiah, and it breaks my heart, and I would be willing to give up my salvation so that they could go. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could say that about anybody. Um, obviously, he couldn't do that even if he wanted to, because he can't give his salvation to anybody. He's got his sins need to be paid for. If he's perfect, yeah, he could do that, but he, he's not. He's got his own sins, and we all have our own sins, and we will all stand before God individually. But that's an amazing statement. Um, That shows God's heart. That shows how God has transformed this man. (laughs) He'd be willing to honestly, before God and the Holy Spirit, give up his salvation for the Jews. And by the way, these are guys that um, persecuted him, beat him to death almost, stoned him, hit him with rods, they, they stripped the skin off his back with the cat of nine tails, put him in jail, and eventually killed him. Those are the people he's saying, I wish they could go to heaven instead of me, and I would go to hell for them. That is an incredible statement. That's beyond even understanding. Uh, But he carries this grief, and this is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, Paul's grief is not passing. It attends his life and perturbs his heart continually. So this was with Paul all the time. Can you imagine actually saying that to somebody? Or to God even. God, I'm willing to give up my salvation. Um, Here's here's how I put it. So I I thought about this myself. Man, that would be, that's even hard to comprehend. In fact, uh, for me, there's situations that 
are so simple that I can't, I'm so selfish. I, I just think of this, I was in a traffic jam recently and then cars were backed up and just kind of creeping along. You know how it is and, and you're just on there for, seems like forever and all of a sudden some cars started going around on the shoulder, you know, kicking up rocks and they're going to try to cut in front of everybody, right? And that just bugs me, okay? And, and so I was kind of watching them and I was kind of irate with them and thinking, who do they think they are going to head me? Everybody else is waiting, you're just trying to get by. And they got caught up there because there was a guardrail that stopped them. And, and now people are mad at them, and nobody's letting them in because they got their blinker on, they're just sitting there, you know, and everybody's slowly going by them. Nobody's letting them in. So I get up to that point, and what does your pastor, the man of the cloth, <laughs> the genteel man of peace, loving, Holy Spirit-filled, what, what do I do? What am I thinking? I'm thinking, sit there, sucker, and rot. <laughs> you can rot right there. I don't care. You're trying to get ahead of everybody? But God spoke to my heart. And usually I let people in. But that's what goes from, I'm just so selfish. I couldn't give up. I thought about this. Why is that so hard for me to let them in? Um, if I let them in and then traffic clears up, they will have a two-second advantage on me. I can't get, that's asking too much. One second, maybe. Two seconds, no. I can't sacrifice that kind of time. Okay? Paul was willing to give up his eternity in heaven and go to hell forever for people that were trying to kill him and persecute him and hated him. I can't give up two seconds for a guy that wants to get a little time in front of me. You know, I, I could give countless, I could regale you with countless stories of my selfishness, <clears throat> and that would be fun. And I have lots of them. I thought of one more, just, just to show the heart of even when I was a kid. I remember when I was five years old, <clears throat> I was in uh, kindergarten in, at Windsor Elementary School in Des Moines. And my teacher, she had a cool system. She had every kid's name on a 3 by 5 card in her desk. And at recess, she had like three different stations, art station, something else. And, and then there's one station that just had wood and nails and hammer. And you could just go in and build things. And she would take the top three off. She'd hold, you know, right before recess, she, she'd pull the top three and say, Okay, uh, Timmy, what would you like to do? Your name's on top. And so he would pick, and then Susie, what would you like to do? So I'm five years old. And guess which one I'd like to do? Pound wood with nails, okay? So I kid you not, I'll never forget this. I remember distinctly, my teacher left the room to go to the bathroom. I got up, went to her desk. I opened her desk drawer, took her pile of cards. I flipped through, found my name, put it on top, put the rubber band, and put it back in and sat down. She came back in the room. It was time for recess. She picked it up. She said, Billy, what would you like to do? It's like, I was on top. I said, pound nails. <laughs> now, some of you are hoping that somehow I must have got caught. Somebody narks on me, and teacher finds out, and then my parents find out, and I get a bunch of trouble, and then I'm remorseful. No, man, I was pounding nails while the monkeys were on the monkey bars. <laughs> I got away with it. It's just a selfish heart. And here we see Paul transformed by the gospel. He knows that God loves him. And, he, and this is a scene of him before he became a Christian. He was giving his approval of others killing Christians. This is the first martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death. And Paul, it says, uh, was Saul at the time, was watching the clothes and giving his, the cloaks and giving his approval. He would drag Christians from their home. He was selfish, but now he says, for my enemies, I'm willing to 
to spend eternity apart from God in a place of suffering. That's an amazing statement. He was transformed. I, I, I just thought about this. How many of you have been mistreated by others? I know I have at times, and maybe hold a grudge. Maybe some of you come from a religious background that they're not happy about your transformation or you're coming to a church like The Rock because their church has, goes back, they have a lineage, and they want you to be in their church, and maybe they're not happy, they mistreat you, maybe kick you out of their house or give you the cold shoulder like was mentioned tonight. Or somebody has hurt you in a marriage or a divorce situation or a friend has betrayed you. How many people do we have that we're holding bitterness toward? Yet we see the Apostle Paul willing to give up eternity with God forever. And I feel like I can't give up two seconds to let a guy come in, in the, in the traffic. I think God wants us to be transformed. And if we understand the love of God, I think we'll be transformed like the Apostle Paul. Um, God transformed this man. Um, he wished that he could be cut off from Christ. Here's the second thing. We see, as far as God's sovereign love being unmatched, God's love blessed the nation of Israel. And now Paul is going to share with the Jewish people, his relatives, that, listen, I don't hate you because they think he's a traitor. He's hanging out with Gentiles, and he's telling people that you're free from the burden of the law of Moses. So the Jews aren't happy about that, and ergo, they're trying to kill him. So he reminds them that, listen, I'm with you. I love this people God has picked these people and he's blessed them. Look at the blessings that he mentions that Israel has. He says the Israelites, uh, theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs is the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestor, ancestry of the Messiah, of the Christ, who is God over all forever praise. That's a blessing. That, that is a people group that Paul says, I am proud to be a part of that people group. We are blessed. I'm not ashamed of being a Jew. He says, we are blessed. And you can take a picture of this if you want, but there's so many blessings, I won't even go through them all. Um, but we see that down at the bottom, one of the main blessings that Paul was driving toward that the Jews have is that they have the lineage of Christ. The Messiah came through the Jews. And that's where Paul is taking them. He wants them to understand that Jesus is the, the long-awaited Messiah who they have rejected. That is a blessing, <laughs> to have Jesus come through your lineage. Um, do you have anybody famous in your... Don't, don't shout it out, but we all are interested, you know, with all the DNA tests and whatnot and the uh, Ancestry.com. And, and I, I was thinking, do I have anybody famous in my... Family. So I actually, this week, I texted my aunt, who is into genealogies, and I knew that, but I, I just said, hey, do, do we have anybody famous in our family? And she sent me a long thing about somebody that's kind of famous, and I'll just talk about him for a second here. Um, his name, well, actually, I jumped the gun here. So the Jews have a lineage, and we're going to talk about that just for a second here. Okay, How Israel has been blessed. Um, and we'll start like that. I'll talk about Ezekiel in just a second. He's my, one of my ancestors. Uh, but the world, just, just consider this for a second. I'll set it up. The world has 8 billion people, which is 8,000 million, just for, to get millions going so you can compare. Uh, there are 15 million Jews, approximately, in the world right now out of the 800, 
8,000 million. In the United States alone, there are 332 million people in our country alone. In Israel, there are only 9 million people in the whole country. It's just a little sliver in Palestine. And only 7 million of those in Israel are Jews. Yet, has God blessed this nation? It's a miracle they're even there. I mean, think about it. Have you ever read about all the different ites in the Bible, the Hittites and the Gergesites and, and these ites? Where are they at? They're all gone. The Israelites are still here with the same language, same connection to their past. It's a miracle. Even though they've been tried, people have tried to destroy all of the Jews. The Holocaust destroyed almost a third of every Jew on the planet. And yet they survive. It's amazing to me. Well, check this out. Anecdotally, think about this. The Nobel Prize is given to people for uh, scientific achievement in physics and chemistry, medicine, physiology. And um, if you think about the different people groups that get it, check this out. Nobel Prizes for people of Jewish descent. Uh, even though the Jewish people make up only 0.2% of the world's population, 22% of Nobel laureates are Jews. Not only that, since 1950, almost 30% of the Nobel Prizes have gone to Jews. Even after a third of the world Jewry was destroyed in the Holocaust. Speaking statistically, by their size, the Jewish people probably should have earned only one of the Nobel Prizes awarded in the fields of physics, chemistry, medicine, and physiology. In fact, they have won over 120 with a little tiny country. Paul says they are blessed. We see that they are blessed. And he also talks about their, their lineage, okay? Uh, that that they, they come from the patriarchs and you can trace their human ancestry to Christ. And this is what I was talking about my aunt. She sent me um, uh, some information about Ezekiel Young. He's my great-grandpa times five, great-great-great-great-grandpa, born in 1734 in Bristol, England. He stowed away on a ship, made his way to America, was caught, and he was turned into a, a slave. He had to pay off his, his portage once they caught him on the ship. Uh, he eventually won his freedom, and he fought alongside um, the, in, in the Revolutionary War, George Washington. He was in the Revolutionary War, and he's listed there. And he also fought in the battle of Fort Duquesne. And um, he had six sons and one daughter. I thought it was interesting. One of the sons' name is William. One of the sons' name is Joseph, like my firstborn. And he, he died in 1800. And he has a, a glorious past. There's a lot written about him. And this is my great, 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 great grandfather. I didn't even know I had it. It's a great lineage. Okay, um, but it's not as great as Jesus' lineage, which goes all the way back to Adam. And then it goes through Noah and Abraham and King David. It splits off for Mary and for Joseph. Paul says, through the Jews came the Messiah. What a great lineage. Abraham and Jacob and Isaac all lead to Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. You guys, us Jews, we have an, we've been blessed Yet you're missing the most important thing, which is the Messiah. And then he says this. He says that Christ, who is God over all. Wait a minute. Is Jesus really God in the flesh? Someone asked this recently. 
And uh, it was a great conversation. Is Jesus really God in the flesh? That's what Paul is saying here. Absolutely. Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. There's other verses. Colossians says, For in Christ all the fullness of the what? The deity lives in bodily form in Christ, in Jesus. Thomas, when he realized Jesus was really there, resurrected from the dead, it says he dropped to his knees and worshipped Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't pick him up and say, I'm not God. Don't You only worship God. No, he let him worship him. Paul tells Timothy, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus God in the flesh? Yes, he is. And you need to know that. In fact, we have other reasons to know that. Jesus himself claimed to be God. Maybe you could click that for me. This is not working. Um, Jesus claimed to be God in John 10, 30, verse 33. You should read that. Because at one point, Jesus was preaching, and the Jews picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus stops them and says, why are you stoning me? Because of my miracles, all the miracles I've done? They said, no, 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 we're not stoning you for your miracles. We're stoning you because you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. They understood what he was saying. They saw it for what it was. Uh, he did miracles, not just pulling rabbits out of a hat or doing a cool card trick. I mean, he raised people from the dead, healed people that had been lame for 40 years, right in front of everybody, to prove he was only God could do that. He led a sinless life. He never sinned. Even his opponents couldn't claim that he had ever sinned. If he did, he couldn't be God. Uh, there were over 300 direct prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. That is miraculous. That is statistically off the charts. That one person who had no control over what was written thousands of years before fulfilled those prophecies. And he rose from the dead. He said, if you don't believe that I'm God, watch this. You're going to kill me? I'm going to raise to life in three days. And boom, he did it. I mean, he called it. And that's what he did. Jesus is God in the flesh. So that's our first implication of God's sovereignty is that his love is un matched, and it'll transform you. Let me ask you a question as we move on here. Has God's sovereign love transformed you? Is there some area where you need to give a little bit, let somebody in front of you, or forgive someone, or actually go beyond that and bless someone who doesn't like you? That'll change your heart, man. You don't have to do it in front of them, you can just send them a card. You can just anonymous somehow. Is there someone you need to bless that you feel like doesn't deserve it? I remember once, speaking of lobsters, uh, my son Joseph, oldest, I'm this just came to mind. I think he was like 13 or 14. And he was being, he was, we didn't like him for a little bit. You know, he was just being a teenager. And he was being rude to mom. And I, I don't put up with that in our house. You don't, you don't talk like that to your mother. So, so we were having conflict, and we were having, you know, he's just trying to come into his own. And I was so mad at him. And I started thinking about verses like this, and God convicted me, because I just didn't like him, didn't want to be around him at that point in time. <clears throat> and you know, so you know what I did? I said, Joseph, come with me. So I got him in the car, and, and he said, where are we going? I said, we're going to Red Lobster. I said, you don't deserve this but we're going to do it because of God's grace. I want to show you what grace is like. You know you don't deserve this. 
And him and I, we had all-you-can-eat shrimp night. And I'll never forget that. And we had a good talk. And I just explained to him again what was going on, how I perceived his attitude. But that's what God, he gives us things that we don't deserve. And we need to do that as far as loving other people. Once we understand God's love, then we can do that. Man, this, this got away from me here. Okay, so I have two more points. Well, no problem, we're going to get through it. It's because my clicker's not working, that's why. Okay, next slide. Okay, here's the second implication of God's sovereignty is that first, God's sovereign love is unmatched. Number two, God's sovereign promises are unbiased. And he doesn't care what your pedigree is or what church you go to or how much money you have or what race you are or if you're a man or a woman. Um, it's unbiased. In fact, God's word never fails. That's how Paul continues here. He says, it is not as though God's word had failed to his fellow Jews and, and brother Israelites. It's not like God's word had failed. They're, they're asking him, you say we don't have to follow the law of Moses. Um, are, what about all the promises God made to the Israelites, Paul? And he's saying, well, God's word has not failed, that's for sure. And we can see that uh, through all these verses in Romans and Isaiah and 2 Corinthians, that God's word will never fail. Amen? It will never fail. So Paul says that it's not as though God's word had failed. And after affirming God's word, he explains how the promises of God work. He says God's promises connect to faith, not pedigree, not your lineage, Jews. They thought they were fine because they had who? Abraham as their father, they would say, in, in their lineage. So they're fine with God. Paul says, no, not so much. And he shocks them by saying some things. He says this, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Boom, mic drop right there. What do you mean, Paul, that not all who are descended from Israel, from Jacob, are Israel. What are you talking about? Then he goes on to say, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. And that's what the Jews would say. They would say that to Jesus. Jesus says, you are following your father, the devil. And they said, Abraham is our father. We're children of Abraham. And Paul says, you are not children of Abraham just because you have his DNA. You are a child of Abraham if you have his faith. And that's what he's getting to here. He says, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And he's quoting Genesis 21, verse 12 there. Um, really, what we see here is that there is a distinction, uh, what we would call the visible versus invisible church. The visible church is you know, people that think that because of their lineage, because of the church they go to, because they're Worthy, they're going to be okay with God. That's the visible church, but there's an invisible church. And that has to do with those who are faith in Christ, the faith of Abraham. And that's what he's saying here. It's through Isaac, the, 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 the promised child, the child of promise that you will be reconciled. So talking about this visible versus invisible church, R.C. Sproul says this. He says, Paul makes the same distinction, visible versus invisible. Just because somebody is an ethnic Jew, a member of the commonwealth of Israel, does not mean that he is saved. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He goes on to say, in other words, he clarifies, it is not, <coughs> excuse me, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring, children of faith. For this was how the promise was stated. <coughs> hey, Pete, I have a bottle of water sitting right there. 
Um, this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. He's quoting Genesis 18 there. So he's, just, he's making a distinction between children of faith and, and children that are, just have the DNA of Abraham, okay? And he says, really, all that matters is, do you have the faith of Abraham? That's the invisible church. That's the true church. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. Uh, it does, he talks about Isaac and not Ishmael. Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham. He had a child with his handmaiden, Hagar, because Sarah, his wife, gave Hagar. She should have done that. So Ishmael was born 10 years before the child of promise. I, Isaac was born, and, and God says, Ishmael's not getting anything. Isaac is a child of promise. He's a child of faith. And we walk in that lineage of the children of faith. Saying that, you know, I go to the right church, or I have the right parents, or I have the right pedigree, so I'm okay with God, is like, um, you know, you, you don't become a Christian by going to the right church any more than you go to McDonald's and that makes you a hamburger, okay? It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, do you have faith? You are not saved by going to the right church. You're not saved by your efforts or worthiness or your family or your friends or your wealth. You're saved by your faith, and Paul's trying to help his fellow Jews understand that. Skip Heitzig, he says this, the rejection of Christ, he's talking about the Jewish nation, how they rejected Christ by the majority does not negate the promise of God to the minority, those who have faith. You see, the church was all Jewish. The, the Christian church was all Jewish at the beginning, but now more and more Gentiles are coming in. And he says, listen, there are some Jews that have faith, but not all. But uh, the rejection of Christ by the majority does not negate the promise God made to the minority, those who have faith. God's choice to save is not based upon physical descent nor human merit. And I thought this was kind of funny. Let me take a drink here. I saw this in the news. I just thought it was, I laughed at it. You might not, but um, this idea of, I am because of who I am. God has to save me. It was this guy Anthony, Anthony Starr. I don't know him. He's a New Zealand actor, and you'll see why this article caught my attention. He plays an evil superhero on Amazon's The Boys. Never seen it. Never will. Um, <laughs> he got in a fight in a bar in 2022 in March. Got a, he eventually got arrested for assault. He was drunk, and he got in a fight. And as they were arresting him, he started shouting, you don't know who I am. And I'm thinking, buddy, nobody knows who you are. That, that's what made me laugh. Like, I don't know who you are. Nobody, you think you're going to get off because you're this awesome movie star, and nobody knows who you are. Yet you think somehow because of your pedigree, you're going to get off. You think somehow because you go to the right church, or you're nice, or you try to do good things that, that you're going to get to heaven. That's not what gets you there. It's not your family, your works, or your pedigree, or if you're a movie star. You get to heaven by faith. Like everyone else, God is unbiased. So, let me ask you a question as we end this point. Are you a child of promise? Are you a child of faith? Abraham's lineage of faith, not DNA, but faith. And that's what Paul was trying to help the Jews understand. So not only is God's love unmatched and his promises unbiased, here's our third implication of God's sovereignty. God's sovereign grace is undeserved. Amen? And Paul's going to make that point here. 
And we're going to talk about this. This is going to launch us into the next two weeks here. Um, God's grace is an unmerited gift. It's unmerited. We don't deserve God's grace. Nobody, you got to understand, in God's sovereignty, nobody deserves God's grace. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. We've all fallen short. Every one of us, the Bible says. It's only by God's grace that we go to heaven and God's choice of us. In Romans 9, 10, it says this, Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins, now, if you were Jew, you would understand that he's talking about Esau and Jacob, the twins. They would know that instinctively. Um, sons of Jacob, Jacob eventually became renamed to Israel, the nation of Israel. So before the twins were born or had any, um, anything done, good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand. And we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. God's purpose and election. God's sovereignty in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She, Rebecca, was told the older will serve the younger. Genesis 25. So Ishmael is not, even though he's a firstborn, he's not, he is not going to get the rights of the firstborn. Uh, or, or Esau is not going to get the rights of the firstborn. It's going to be Jacob. The twins, Jacob and Esau, uh, but Jacob will. Okay, so that's where the lineage of faith, that line, it goes through Jacob. The older will serve the younger. That's what God tells Paul and Paul tells us. So let's talk about this for a second briefly. Election, uh, predestination versus free will. This is a debate that has gone on for a millennia. This is a, especially when it comes to salvation. Are we chosen or did, do we get to choose? Do we have any say in it or is it all God? Um, election means God simply means God chooses you, free will, you choose God. Now, what do we believe? We believe that the Bible teaches both. Why? Because the Bible teaches both. <laughs> it, you just can't get around it. But it's contradictory. Well, you know what's interesting? When I read the Bible, the Bible doesn't seem to be bothered by it. It doesn't try to correct it. It teaches both. God is completely, absolutely, 100% in control of everything. Yet somehow in that, he says, you must choose me. You have to choose. Are those contradictory? Let me, let me tell you a quick joke. If you're, if you're a Calvinist, if you're a five-point Calvinist, don't be offended by this. This is just a funny little joke, okay? It only works by picking on you, okay? Um, so a Calvinist... Calvinist dies, goes to heaven. When he gets there, he sees two lines. Over one line, it says predestined. The other line, it says free will. He goes, clearly, this is the line for me. So he sat in the predestined line, and got up to the front. The angel looks at him and says, what are you doing in this line? He goes, well, I saw this, so I chose this line. You chose? You need to go in the other line if you chose. <laughs> so he gets mad, and he walks over and stands in line. He gets up to the front. The angel goes, what are you doing in this line? He said, that guy made me come over here. Oh, you didn't have a choice? you got to go back in that line. <laughs> predestination or free will, which is it? You know, here's what's crazy. You should take a picture of this because there are godly men and women on both sides of this issue. Uh, generally favored election, a reform view, line them up. Great men of God and free will, Arminian, great men of God. So which is it? It's an argument. Here's what, it's both. It's both. I know some of you, that's hard for you to hear, but I love the way Spurgeon 
handles this. He, he likens it to a, a, a train track with two rails going on to eternity. He actually says it like this. He says, free will and election are like two parallel lines of a train track that don't ever seem to touch. If you follow them far enough, all the way up to heaven, then they do meet each other as friends. And he was asked one time, how do you reconcile these two contradictory theological points? And he says, "Um, friends don't need to be reconciled. He says they're both true. They work together, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, This is a bad illustration, but I think it it helped me just a little bit. Now, think of this. uh, When... uh, Flights are scheduled, you know, through the FAA and um, major airlines. They schedule all their flights. In, in a sense, they predestine these flights, and then they offer them to people, and you get to go on and choose that flight. So you get to the airport, you get on your plane, and that plane, once it takes off, it's headed to where London or New York, wherever you're going, you can't do anything about it. It's, gonna, it's going there. But while you're on the plane, you are free to move around the cabin. Okay? Think about that. Uh, You and I, God has predestined everything, yet somehow within that he allows us to be free, to make choices. How does it work? I don't know. But I allow God to be a lot smarter than me. I allow that, and I'm okay with that. I hope you are. Last verse. Verse 13. Here's a little bomb for you. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Oh, no! That is terrible. Wait a minute. That, that, is, that is problematic for me. Before they were born, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? What kind of God are we serving here? Let, let me just make a couple comments, and then I'm going to leave it with Brian to resolve it next week, okay? <laughs> That's how we roll here. Um, to be true, the verse is, he's quoting is from Malachi, the last book of the Bible, uh, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. And uh, this was written a thousand years. Malachi was written a thousand years after the twins were born. A thousand years later. Now there's nations that have come out of those twins. And Esau, Edom, is a nation that hates Israel and, and goes to war with Israel and hates God. They've rejected God, and God says, I hate that nation. Now, that didn't. That was in a lot of commentaries I read. That didn't sit well with me. So let's just pretend for a second. Let's just assume what he's saying is exactly what's written. Before they were born, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. Can we be okay with that? We may not like it, but but should we be okay with that? I put it to you. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could God hate someone who hasn't even been born yet? You know what I think? How could God love someone? before they're even born. Jacob was uh, an idiot. <laughs> he was a liar. He, he, he was a schemer. His name means deceiver. Read about Jacob. Yet God loved him. That's what I look at. I go, it's amazing that God... Here's the deal. None of us deserve to be loved. None of us deserve... To, we don't deserve anything from God. It's only by His grace, which is unmerited, that love, the fact that He loves Jacob before he's born... Ah, the fact that he loved you before you were born and allowed you to come to a faith, Abraham's faith, and trust in Christ, that's what blows me away. How could God love and hate someone before they're born? Brian's going to make it all clear next week. (laughs) Amen, Brian? 
That's going to happen. I told him that tonight. He's going to straighten it all out. So, last question. Have you been saved by grace? Have you been saved by grace, unmerited favor? And if you have, do you understand how much God loves you? It should transform your life like it did the Apostle Paul. Are there people you need to bless even though you know they don't deserve it? Um, do you understand God's promises are to people of faith? It's not your DNA, it's your faith. And do you realize that God's sovereign grace is undeserved, but you can have it. You can choose it tonight. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your sovereignty. We believe and trust that you're in control of everything. And we also believe, God, that you tell us over and over in the scriptures that whoever believes in you has eternal life. Whoever accepts the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Lord, there is a choosing in that as well. We're thankful for that. Thanks for your sovereignty. We just tell you we trust you. You are smarter than we are. And we thank you for this beautiful doctrine. Pray that you would, over the next number of weeks, just make things clear to us. Help us understand it more, even though it's lofty and it's over our head. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.